Hi, friends, it's Vin Scully. It's time for Dr. Clapper. In sports, there's winning and losing and getting injured. That's why there's Dr. Clapper. Dr. Clapper is the former head of orthopedic surgery at Cedar sinai The Weekend Warrior Show with Dr. Clapper, presented by Cedar sinai Hey, Dr. Clapper. How are you? Saturday mornings from 7 to 9. Silence is golden when you can't think of a good answer. <laughs> yes, Doc, I love your show. Now, here he is, Dr. Robert Clapper. Welcome back, Weekend Warriors. Thanks so much for listening each and every Saturday, telling all your friends, your family. I really appreciate it. It's great to put some positive energy into the world, particularly the world we're living in right now. This whole idea of not allowed to go here or there, I I feel so fortunate that I'm able to surf, and I still can surf, to escape. But one of the other places I like to escape to is to watch remote control airplanes and jets and helicopters. And we're blessed because aviation is such an important part of the history of Southern California, Grumman, Lockheed, Martin, all of these places that were huge in innovation in aerospace. The final concentration of it is the remote control world that we're blessed with here in the San Fernando Valley. And at 8.15, my guest, I can't wait to talk to him, is the great Jason Mansfield, who's the head of the Valley Flyers Association. And I love to visit this little field. And you can go there during this pandemic. I love taking my grandson to watch these pilots fly these different jets and planes and helicopters remotely. And it made me think all week, where do you see this idea of remote control in art, in sports, in surgery? What is it that's so fascinating to me about it? And it's because you're remotely controlling an object, whether it's a plane, whether you're a coach and it's an athlete. And in the art world, if you're directing a movie, you got to be able to control the actor. So mixing it all up, how do you control the actor who's also flying? Because it's a bird. Alfred Hitchcock did it in his classic movie in 1963 called The Birds. But what I realized is there's two things that are relatable to remote control. One, the actual technical aspect of it. You watch these pilots talking uh, all about the gyroscope and the, the flaps and the electronics, the technical aspects of that plane is what separates the good from the bad. But the other aspect is the nurturing. Some of these folks treat that airplane like it's their child. That's the difference between good and great, the passion that you bring, the nurturing aspects of it. Alfred Hitchcock was not interested in nurturing anybody, whether they were an actor or anybody else, and certainly not a bird. But he was a master at the technical aspects of remote control. Gino Ariema, one of the most successful basketball coaches of all time, coaches the Yukon women's basketball program. 
They have the most victories. He's like the John Wooden of women's basketball. He has to remotely control that woman basketball player, and he does it better than anybody else. The technical part, yes, he's great at it. But what makes him so special is the nurturing part of it. How does he pick the right plane? Why does he pick a jet, not a propeller plane? Why does he pick a helicopter? How you go through that thought process as it relates to remote control, I want you to listen to Gino Ariema talk about which kid he likes to pick. They got to be the right plane, the right athlete to nurture. Number one. Recruiting enthusiastic kids is harder than it's ever been because every kid watches TV and they watch the NBA or they watch Major League Baseball or they watch the NFL, whatever sport they watch, WNBA, it doesn't matter. And what they see is people just being really cool. So they think that's how they're going to act. Jason Mansfield's going to teach us you need a plane that will respond to your commands, to your coaching, to your directing. Number two. They haven't even figured out which foot to use as a pivot foot, and they're going to act like they're really good players. You see it all the time. You see it at every AAU tournament. You see it at every high school game. So recruiting kids that are, like, really upbeat and loving life and love the game and have this tremendous appreciation for when their teammates do something well, that's hard. That's hard. It's really hard. Number three. So on our team, we – me, my coaching staff, we put a huge premium on body language. And if your body language is bad, you will never get in the game, ever. I don't, I don't care how good you are. If somebody says, well, you know, you just benched Stewie for, you know, 35 minutes in the Memphis game a couple of years ago. Yeah, I did. Oh, well, that was to motivate her for the South Carolina game the following Monday. No, it wasn't. Stewie was acting like a 12-year-old. So I put her on the bench and said, sit there. Number four. It doesn't matter on our team. Now, the other coaches might say, well, you can do that because you got three other, you know, All-Americans. I get that. I understand that. But I'd rather lose than watch kids play the way some kids play. I'd rather lose. And they're allowed to get away with just whatever. And they're always thinking about themselves. Me, 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 me. I didn't score, so why should I be happy? I'm not getting enough minutes. Why should I be happy? That's the world that we live in today, unfortunately. For him to remotely control those players, he looks for a certain type of athlete. You look for a certain kind of plane. You look for a certain type of actor if you're a director. Number five. And kids check the scoreboard sometimes because they're going to get yelled at by their parents if they don't score enough points. Don't get me started. So when I, when I look at my team, they know this. When I watch game film, I'm checking what's going on on the bench. And if somebody's asleep over there, somebody doesn't care, somebody's not engaged in the game, they will never get in the game, ever. And they know that. They know I'm not kidding. Vanessa Bryant invited this man, this coach, who was coaching both Kobe to be a coach for girls basketball, as well as Gigi, his daughter, whose dream was to play at UConn for him. So at the memorial, Vanessa Bryant said, could you please come and speak about your relationship, 
about nurturing, remote control nurturing in the world of sports. Number seven. And how ironic that he would talk to me about coaching. The uncoachable one wants to talk about coaching. Probably the most uncoachable player in the NBA during his career wants to know about coaching. And I wanted to know why. He said, I'm coaching my daughter's team. I said, oh my God, that poor kid. Number eight. So when I watched highlights of her playing, and on about the third or fourth time she touched the ball, Gianna passed it when she was open. I thought, she's not listening to her father. <laughs> Number nine. So he would call and say, what kind of defensive drills should I do? We have practice tonight. We're going to work on defense. What do you think is the most important thing in teaching man-to-man? Further proof, he never listened to one word any of his coaches told him. So I tried to explain to them. I said, Kobe, they're 13 years old. I think you ought to just say, hey, you know, see the kid with the ball. Try not to let her go by you and see if you're guarding the other guys. Hey, see the kid with the ball over there. Don't let her throw the ball to your guy. Keep it kind of simple, you know? Number 10. He said, no, I want to know, like, what are the rotations when they drive? I said, come on, come on, come on. So these are the conversations that we have both as basketball people and as dads who have ever coached their kids, if you've ever been in that situation, like a lot of people here in this room probably have been. And I remember when Gigi came, as you saw in that video, she came to our very fir- uh, the very first game that she came to, and she came into the locker room. And number 11. And here she is. And the look on her face, the smile, the way her eyes just took everything in, how excited she was to be around, in her mind, royalty. It's ironic. <laughs> her father's royalty. And she's excited to be around royalty that looks just like what she wants to be. But here's where he realizes Kobe gets the nurturing aspect of remote control, of being a coach, number 12. And the most impressive thing about that point in time was how Kobe stepped as far back as he could. So anyone taking pictures, anyone there would not know that this was Kobe Bryant's daughter. This was her moment. This is where her, her time to shine. This was her time to experience all the things that he's experienced his whole life. He was being dad, he wasn't being Kobe Bryant. And he was allowing Gigi to be Gigi, not Kobe Bryant's daughter. In today's day and age, that's a hell of a thing for parents to be able to do. Now I want you to hear from the art world, Alfred Hitchcock himself. He could give a rip about nurturing anybody. He's remotely controlling because of his fascination with the technical challenges. It's not about nurturing to him. It's about the technical aspects, the gyroscope, the levers that the pilots have to work on for their planes. It's not about babying the planes or what kind of plane to have for him. It's the technical aspects. 
Number one. Mr. Hitchcock, do you like birds? Um, I'm quite indifferent to them. They serve <laughs> their purpose on occasions. Mm -hmm. Which purpose would that have been for you? Well, it was a matter of making a little movie about them. Mm -hmm. A modest little affair, mm -hmm. I may say so. Are you really modest about this picture, or do you like it particularly? Well, it's different, you know, and one always tries to meet a challenge. I think just doing an ordinary picture of what I call uh, photographs of people talking mm -hmm. is rather dull. Next. So the challenge was to take this subject and see if it could be made mm -hmm. to work. I think there was a rather particular challenge about this picture, which was working with birds, really. Was it very difficult? That was the technical challenge. Mm -hmm. um, of course, it's a very involved technical process, mm -hmm. and the mere fact that I am able to shoot a picture, to photograph a picture, mm -hmm. with the cutting in mind... Number Next. We were able to train the birds for each individual cut. In other words, we couldn't take necessarily whole long scenes and expect the birds to behave for about four or five minutes. But the manner of the montage permitted the bird to be trained for a very short period, such as uh, flying after a child and landing on its shoulder. Then I would be able to go to a close-up of it biting and so forth. Biting the child. He could care less about nurturing a child. He's interested in biting them with a seagull. Number four. The birds, I mean, looked rather terrible, were they, actually? Um, the seagulls, miot, you call them, mm -hmm. the seagulls are vicious. They are scavenger birds. Mm -hmm. And the trainers, when handling them, had to wear very heavy gloves because... Mm -hmm instinctively they bite because they're always catching fish and so forth the crows the cor, cor what do you call corbeau the corbeau they were to be trained they varied some were vicious some were very friendly here's Vern cartwright the 11 year old in the movie who got bitten and beat up by the birds talking about what it was like about the technical challenge, about the animal training involved, and the lack of nurturing, actually, in this remote control story. Let's go to number eight. Ray Berwick, who was the um, main handler, he had um, a crow, or a raven, I believe he was, uh, named Buddy. And Buddy was trained, and so he was sort of like the leader. He could tell him when to peck your hand and, and do things like that. There was one named Buddy, very beautiful raven, who uh, I became friends with. In fact, he was so nice, he couldn't even be in the movie. He was so sweet. And he'd come hopping into my dressing room on the set, and he'd hop up on my dressing table. And, um, and he, was just, he was just fun. It was just, you know, they're so smart. That was Tippi Hedren talking about the nice bird. The nice ones were not allowed in the movie. Number nine. A lot of those birds were uh, cardboard cutouts and um, sort of stuffed birds that were all put on the wires and they just kept adding to them and adding to them. And I asked him, I said, ever the curious child, um, I asked him, I said, well, isn't 
it going to look fake on camera? And he says, no, because he interspersed real birds with them. And he says, your eye, it's the illusion. You see movement from one, you assume that they're all moving. And it's absolutely true. You sit there and you watch that movie and you could swear that they're all moving just by interspersing live ones here and there. I mean, he had so many things. He was a technical master of remote control. And finally, I want you to hear the terror of having these birds attack this town. Technically, how he pulls it off. Number 10. He would just show you the blocking of where you would be and then just took the reactions as they came. They had hammer heads, you know, with birds heads on them and they would have these like hand puppets and and all sorts of things that had bird heads on so that they could control them and stuff. And those were heads on hammers. And then they just had the prop people standing behind just beating the door so it would actually get the the actual looking like it was ripping through. The idea of remote control in sports, in art. We're about to talk to an expert in the world of remote control in aircraft. Jets, planes, propeller planes, helicopters. He's the president of the Valley Flyers. I cannot wait to pick his brain. The great Jason Mansfield will join us coming up next on the Weekend Warrior Show here on 710 ESPN. Get smart. Just what are you getting at? Check out the Weekend Warrior Facebook page. Like this. Medical advice from Cedar sinai head of orthopedic surgery. Are you kidding? With a far rockaway attitude and a little drizzle of mozzarella. Well, it's important to me. Search Weekend Warrior in the space bar. Like this. And click on Doc's picture. I see. Like, follow, and enjoy the Weekend Warrior Facebook page. This is Keyshawn in the morning. My man, Dr. Clapper, and the Weekend Warrior Show starts your Saturday morning. Join the doc from 7 to 9 a.m. What's going on, L.A.? This is Kobe Bryant. Carly's got a gift card for you. Start your weekend off right. Listening to the Weekend Warrior Show with Dr. Clapper. K-L-A-P-P-A-H. Clapper. Every Saturday morning from 7 to 9 a.m. on ESPN. 710, home of your Los Angeles Lakers. Welcome back, Weekend Warriors. Big old jet airliner. There's no one who I know that knows more about the miniature version of a big old jet airliner than my guest, Jason Mansfield. Jason, thanks so much for getting up early to be with us. Uh, my pleasure. I want you to teach us a little bit about the history of remote control flying the Apollo field where you guys congregate. Tell us the history about this beautiful community. It's amazing to me because it brings out a lot of uh, good in people. Mm-hmm. Um, it starts off with um, the Academy of um, Model Aeronautics, uh, which is the club um, uh, that made it possible for us to start the club. Mm. And then, what year did it start? I'm sorry? What year did it start, Jason? Uh, I would say it would have to um, the early 70s. Wow. I just love the sense of community that you see people of all walks of life, all ethnic. You see uh, them helping each other. They're not competing with each other. 
What is it about remote control flying that brings that nurturing nature into the community? You remember the saying, what, come, what goes up must come down? <laughs> yeah. Basically, um, everybody is hoping that everybody brings it down safely. Mm. And everybody wants that same thought for them when they're flying. How do you control how much time you can be on the runway? The, the respect that they each have for each other, the pilots, that their time is up. Is it because the fuel runs out? Or it's is there the actually a, or a the clock going life. on that they have Some to stop? Them, six minutes for turbine jet pilots. Um, three to eight minutes for uh, electric um, EDS, with the, which is an electric ducted fan. Um, gas is probably the highest um, in regards of minutes, and that's 12 minutes, maybe 13 minutes. Hmm. What, are, what do you think of this whole idea I have of both a nurturing nature to remote control as well as the technical aspects? Does it always surprise you that this pilot would want this type of plane? Uh, is that something that you can predict? Um, no, you cannot predict it. <laughs> it's, it's not predictable because it depends on that person's, like, thrive for either a jet or a propeller plane or a helicopter or a, um, a multi-rotor uh, aircraft. Do you have a favorite maneuver that you appreciate when a pilot can do that? <laughs> the most amazing thing that I see is the inverting flying. Mm. And a lot of um, skilled pilots do it at a low pass. So you're flying upside down and they're like maybe a foot away from the runway. Wow. That's, that's the hardest thing for you to see. Well, and that's your favorite. It's just, I can't imagine what their, their brain and their, their fingers are doing at the same time because you have maybe a split second to correct that error or you're done. Hmm. And what about crashes? What's the most impressive crash you've seen? You've seen a mid-air crash of two planes in mid-air collide? They do have mid-air collisions. That's not my most impressed ones. The ones <laughs> that I'm most impressed by are the ones that end up catching fire <laughs> when they slam into the ground. Oh, my God. I hate to say that because in Apollo we don't like to have fires because that brings out the fire department and whatnot. But I have to tell you, it's some of the most amazing things that you see. When is the busiest day in the week over there? Sunday. Sunday. Believe it or and not. And it starts when the sun comes up, or is there a certain time it starts? When the sun comes up, there are pilots. Sometimes there are pilots that, it become, that come before the sun comes up to get there so they can already be flying at the crack of dawn. My, my grandson, which I can't thank you enough for really looking after and being so kind when he and my son-in-law show up, he's three. What's the youngest age that someone could become a remote control pilot? Okay, the Academy of um, Model Aeronautics would only support probably 13 at the, at the, at, for insuring them. 
like mm-hmm. uh, car insurance or whatever you want to think of it is. Mm-hmm. Um, it depends on the skill of that person. If yeah. he's three years old and mm-hmm. he's a diehard pilot that's totally into aircrafts and whatnot, we can start him at four. Okay. We that's would, great. We would just buddy box him until when we felt that he was secure enough to fly on his own. Great. And, of course, his dad would have to be there yep. spotting him or supervising it as well. Do you see a future of solar power to supply the electricity for the field? Or do you see solar power actually having the planes themselves have a panel and they can fly? What's the future of remote control in your mind? The future is bright. The field itself is already um, solar-powered because of um, when they charge their batteries, mm-hmm. it's done by solar power, wow. provided by the San Fernando Valley Flyers. Hmm. Um, as far as solar panels on aircrafts, they've already been trying to do it. I do see it in the future, um, but it, it's more beyond my time. Right. For you personally, Jason, when was it that you fell in love with remote control? Oh, I would say in my 30s. Mm -hmm. And how did it happen? Uh, Honestly, I saw a person fly with his turbine jet look over and someone that was... um, an elderly person, and he was walking his plane in 113-degree heat hmm. with a walker and walking back to the um, the pit area. Mm-hmm. That person sprinted to aid him and carry his plane back to uh, the pit area so he could have a an easier time instead of a walker, a plane, and a... A transmitter mm-hmm. and that's when I fell in love with it and that's when I really truly fell in love with it. It, it it's really my belief that there's more going on than the remotely controlling the planes there's more going on in that community that you are the president of and I'm going to give you credit for it as well because there's always uh, the top and the influence that you have, that you nurture this kind of environment, is one of the more beautiful things I see. So that's what got you into it, was that nurturing moment. And that's why you continue to make sure it's a nurturing environment. Correct. But I have to tell you, it is also because of the members of the club that actually make it so easy for me to be the president of the club. Hmm. It all it starts from the bottom and it works its way up. And how many members are there, Jason? There's about 200 at the at the moment. Well, you're soon when we're done, you're gonna have another 201 because that's what I'm gonna do is to sign up my whole family to be members of the Valley Flyers Club. Um, I just think it's it's a part of life that that we really need to cherish. It's it's a religion more than it is. Uh, anything else. It's really not the act of flying. Um, do you have a favorite airplane that you like to watch? I do like to watch um, 
Well, it, it depends because I like to watch helicopters do their maneuvers. Mm-hmm. Um, I like to see the turbine jets. Um, my favorite would probably be the F-18 mm-hmm. uh, when it comes to turbines. Um, then there's um, warbird races, and then there's um, the pylon races that have more mid-air collisions and stuff like that because of um, there's more than one plane in trying to achieve a goal. It's hard to put into words, Jason, why Michael Jordan was the best, the GOAT, if you will, and why LeBron James is the GOAT of his era, or Wayne Gretzky was the GOAT of his era in hockey. What is it that you see that makes a pilot the greatest, rather than good, but a great pilot? What is it that they do? The raw talent, the instinct. It's just like, like you said, all of those athletes had great instincts. Hmm. And they knew what to do when it was time to bite the bullet. Hmm. And with aircraft pilots, if you don't know what to do when it's time, it's crunch time, you're going to not succeed. But those successful ones are the ones that succeed the most. And there are quite a few at Apollo Field. It's amazing to see that there's not just one or two. There's a lot from ranging in all ages. Hmm. It's amazing to me. From the nurturing aspect, it's me as a layperson just watching it. Some of these pilots, you can see the care and the love that they have for caring for this plane, it almost is that the flying is secondary. It's, it's the preparation for the flying, and then it's after the flight takes place. Do you ever see them come to tears if their plane crashes? I see them in a basic um, disappointment, not necessarily in themselves, but a disappointment hmm. that they were not able to take the plane successfully down. Hmm. I see. And who's the old, tell me about the oldest remote control pilot that you have. And that I have now would probably be wheelchair Ron that I call him. His name's Ron Russell. And he is one of those pioneers. Hmm. Does he help the younger pilots? Um, I guess not. <laughs> he does train, yes. <laughs> you're, you're too kind, Jason. <laughs> wow. All right, and, and you're there most days? Yes, I am most of the days. Okay. Sometimes I'm hard to find. Sometimes I'm very easy to find. Okay. Well, I'm going to certainly be looking for you the next time I go there. Where are the other fields in Southern California? There Um, is one in Silmar called Mm -hmm. um, Robbins Field. And speaking of that, can I give a shout-out real quick? Yes. First, I'd like to thank the uh, uh, Academy of Model Aeronautics for their support and making it possible for us to have the flying field. Mm -hmm. And all the other flying fields that you hear are going to hear in the local area, the San Fernando Valley and... L.A. County, um, 
your there's also hobby stores that you have to support. Mm-hmm. And that's um, Smith Brothers in in the San Fernando Valley. E-Hop Where are they located? On Reseda Boulevard and in between Nordoff and Parthenia. Mm-hmm. And then there's White Oak and, and Van Owen uh, E-Hobby House. Mm-hmm. And then there's one on Glen, Glen Oaks in, in uh, I think it's Burbank, and it's uh, Robin's Hobby. Mm-hmm. And that's where I came up with the Robbins field. Got it. It's a private field. And then we also have a private Glendale field at Glendale, and it's called the Glendale RC field, and it's a private field. You have to be a member of the club and our, um, the AMA to fly there. And then mm. the Apollo field, the home of the San Fernando Valley Flyers. Mm. And... Basically, we suggest that you become a member of the club and also AMA, but it is also a public field. But we require that you have some type of training because we're so close to the airport at Van Nuys. Got it. Got it. And is there a website people can go to to learn more about Valley Flyers? The Valley Flyers has their own website, and it's valleyflyers.club. Got it. And it, Got it came out way before dot com came, so that's how 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 long ago dot club was created. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to thank you for teaching us about remote control, the technical aspects, the nurturing aspects, treating these planes like they're your child, but having the technical prowess to have them do things that you just can't believe you're seeing with your own eyes. Thanks so much for making it one of the most pleasant ways to spend a day in Southern California. Jason Mansfield, I really appreciate you being with us. I thank you for your support, Dr. Kapler. Okay, it's my pleasure. All right, that's the great Jason Mansfield, the Valley Flyers Club, remote control. What a great way to spend some time with your family. Coming up next, I'll take some calls. The number is 877-710-ESPN. You're listening to the one and only Weekend Warriors show here on 710 ESPN. Weekend Warriors on Facebook. Didn't you get the memo? Quickly hear Clapper's crazy kitchen stories. Easily find different callers' aches and pain issues. Right, I get it. Search Weekend Warrior in the search bar and click on Doc's picture. Who are you again? Voila! Like, follow, and enjoy the Weekend Warrior Facebook page. You're listening to the Weekend Warrior Show, presented by Cedar sinai What's going on, L.A.? This is Kobe Bryant. At 42 years old, you know what your new nickname is for me? <laughs> Start your weekend off right, listening to the Weekend Warrior Show with Dr. Clapper. You're not Matthew from Santa Monica anymore. You're Mr. Preop. Every Saturday morning from 7 to 9 a.m. on ESPN, 710, home of your Los Angeles Lakers. You won't believe the size of some of these remote control jets and planes. They're not tiny little things like they used to be. They're gigantic. They're like tiny little motorcycles. They're just huge and they can fly. And the tricks that these pilots can do, amazing. It's truly a relaxing way to spend a few hours of your day. 
the great Jason Mansfield. Thanks so much for joining us. All right, let's open the clinic. Let's do some clap revision. And I got to tell you about how to remote control your pizza. And I will tell you that, I promise. Let's go to Dave in Echo Park. You're on with Dr. Clapper. How can I help? Hey, Dr. Clapper, uh, love your show. Thank um, you. I, How young are you? Know. What do you do for a living? Where did you grow up? What did uh, your dad do for a living? Okay, so here we go. I'm 49. I'm a high school teacher here in L.A., Fairfax oh, wow. High School, um, which is not too far away from where you work. Um, I grew up in Southgate, which is kind of like a working class community um, in southeast Los Angeles. It's about 15 minutes Mm-hmm. from downtown L.A. Um, my father, uh, he worked at a paint store. He was like a paint salesman. I don't know if you've ever heard of Dunn Edwards. Yes, paint. yes. Uh, and that's, that's where he worked. And my mom, she worked for the AAA, um, which you've also heard of, I'm sure. She did yeah. 42 years for the AAA. So wow. that's my story. Yeah. And what drew you to teaching? By the way, what subject did you teach? I teach social studies, so great time for it. Uh, U.S. history for 11th graders. So I'm a high school teacher, U.S. history for 11th graders, and civics, government, slash economics for seniors. And, you know, I was, I was attracted to the profession because when I was going to high school, it was pretty much open the book, do some book work, sit there quietly, and turn the assignment. There was no interaction uh, between teacher and students. And so I thought to myself, you know, a, a lot of my friends didn't make it through high school. Either they dropped out or mm-hmm. they got involved in other things. So I thought to myself, I can do a better job than this. And wow. I, like working with young, I like working with young people. And so um, it was kind of a match made in heaven. You're, those students are lucky to have you as their teacher. I can tell already, David. God bless you. That's fantastic. Well, thank you. Thank you for that, Dr. Clapper. I appreciate that. In your, in your knowledge of history... Do you have a favorite moment in history that really appeals to you uh, when you think back on it? Hmm. That's, that's a tough question. You know, a couple periods I like to cover. Um, I like the 1920s and I like the 1930s. Um, the 1920s is because finally, you know, the world was starting to uh, recognize the artistic contributions of African-Americans in our country. You know, that, that, was, that was a great time period. And I also like the 1930s because, um, you know, we were suffering economically and emotionally and psychologically because of the Great Depression. But at the same time, the country was able to kind of like band together. Mm. And the, gov- the government took some, some strong actions and they passed, you know, a wide range of laws that helped, you know, Debatable, of course, but helped put America back on its feet. So I really like those two those two periods, and um, I try to do a good job, um, you know, challenging the kids and, and conveying just what those what those decades represented. I can tell already that you look for the positives in life, and they are hidden within the negatives in life. But you're a kind of person who looks for the positive aspects of it. You're really special, David. Uh, it's my pleasure to help you. Tell me how I can help you. What you do to yourself? Okay, so as you as you're well aware, um, most students are home now, and as are the teachers. We're doing the remote distance learning, and um, I think I've been sitting too much. And I'm six foot four, Doctor Clapper. I'm six foot four, 180 pounds. So I've always had some sort of back problems, and I golf. Mm-hmm. So that's mm-hmm. you know that's an unnatural thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've been diagnosed with a herniated disc. 
Mm-hmm. So I've had an MRI, I've had an MRI done and I've got a herniated disc L4, L5. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, my, my, my guy, Dr. Andrews over at Cedars, he, he had something similar and he's mm-hmm. like, well, let me, let me refer you to my surgeon. He had, he had surgery done. And it's like, mm-hmm. that's like the, that's like the last thing I want to get done is surgery. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, this has been going on for about three months now. I had a slight case of sciatica, not so bad now, not nothing running down my leg, but my toes are a little bit tingly. And mm-hmm. the scary thing, the scary thing with Dr. Andrews and me is the dorsiflexion in my, in my right foot is, it's not quite as strong as it is in my left foot. Mm-hmm. So there's a little bit, a little bit of weakness in my right foot. And, um, you know, my concern is, can I start exercising? I stop running. Should I be cycling? I know you're a fan of the pool. Um, what, what can I do? Uh, and I, I go see my, my neurosurgeon, I think is what she is. I see her on, uh, not this Monday, but the following Monday. And she's going to look at my MRI and kind of steer me in, in a, a certain direction. I just wanted to get your advice on what you think I should, uh, be doing as far as exercising or, or physical therapy on my own. Do you have your MRI report in front of you? I do. I would love to help you. Let's do this. Read me and read slowly the impression. How many numbers are there? Four, three? Um, Well, I've got, this is what I've got in front of me. It says L2, L3, minimal disc bulge. Good. It says. That's the findings. Go Go to the impression. Okay, let me see if I can find that. Impression, or let me go to my CS link. Okay, so is, is that exactly, is that like the images or whatever? No, that's the report. And it, okay. it begins with the findings, which will tell us all kinds of stuff, but it really boilerplates to the impression Um because at 49 yeah. years old, you and I have to fight the good fight not to have surgery, not to have an epidural, not to have steroids. And being as active as you are with golf, with running, and being six foot four, you know, the, I don't like that you have weakness already in the muscle because that's something that is what you really uh, can be a trigger point for you to say you should have surgery. Um, but if the weakness is improving, then you can actually put it off. But if it's staying or God forbid getting worse, then yes, under the microscope, you're going to need to have it decompressed. The problem is what I don't like about spine surgery is you can do a beautiful job at one level. And then two years later, because you've now lost that disc at one level, you overload the disc up above. So two years later, now another disc wakes up. So you really, sometimes you need spine surgery, I get it, but uh, I don't like masking it with steroids and epidurals and whatnot. I love the pool because of the buoyancy of the water, the resistance on your muscle, half an hour uh, each week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, belly button high water, walking forwards, get to the end, don't turn around and walk backwards, even if you wanted to swim for another half an hour after that. These would be holistic things that I'd love you to do um, and try to avoid shots and pills. Um, but if there's weakness and it's getting worse, then you are going to need surgery. And I would love to help you uh, try to understand better your MRI. So let's do this. 
Um, you're not having surgery next week. I would, no. I'll tell Steve Paulette, he's, he's here right now. We'll move you up to the front of the list of, of the callers and have your MRI report in front of you with the impression, and I will give you some clap revision and translate uh, of what's going on in your spine if you want. Sounds great. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll get that impression. And yeah, like surgery, you know, I, back surgery is something that, that concerns me. Um, and I'll give you some names of good surgeons at Cedars as a, a place to get a second opinion as well, um, where you should at least hear it from two different people before you, God forbid, would make the plunge for spine surgery. Um, but we'll get into that. Next week, you'll call. You'll have the report in front of you with the impression. And it'll be my pleasure for a man as sweet as you and all you've done with your life and all the students you've educated. It will be really my pleasure to be able to help you. All right, David? Appreciate it, Dr. Clapper. Thank you. All right. God bless you. Have a good day today. All right, Warriors. Last segment coming up. I'll take some calls. I'm going to tell you all about how to remote control your pizza and have the greatest slice of pizza you can ever have in Los Angeles because it's the center slice of a Sicilian pepperoni pie. How can you get that slice? And I'll teach you how to do that. Coming up next on the Weekend Warriors Show here on 710 ESPN. Holy emoji, Clap Man. Weekend Warriors on Facebook. Holy slip disc. That's right, Robin. Hear listeners talk about their aches and pains. Holy hamstrings. Along with Doc's Clapper vision. Breathe deeply. And advice to callers. On your toes, Robin. So like, follow, and enjoy. A wise decision. The Weekend Warrior Facebook page. Frankly, I can think of nothing more stimulating. Hey, it's John Ireland. You know there is no better way to start your Saturday than with the man who replaced Michael Thompson's hip, Dr. Clapper and the Weekend Warrior Show, 7 to 9 a.m. Saturday mornings. What's going on, L.A.? This is Kobe Bryant. Oh, my God. That's amazing. Start your weekend off right, listening to the Weekend Warrior Show with Dr. Clapper. I'm still quelling. Every Saturday morning from 7 to 9 a.m. on ESPN, 710, home of your Los Angeles Lakers. Fly me to the moon, to the moon. let me play, play among the stars, the stars. let me let see me what see spring what is like, is like on a Jupiter In other words, In other words hold, hold my hand, hold my hand with a remote control device. What a great topic, what a great show, and thanks for joining me. All right, let me tell you about remote controlling your life in pizza. There's something special about no crust on the sides. It's all pure cheese and the tangiest sauce I've ever had on a pizza. The dough is remarkable because it comes from New York, even though it's here in Los Angeles. The cheese, the pepperoni, I don't know how they do it, but they all become one. Tangy sauce, spicy pepperoni, melted cheese, and the crust, it's not thin, but it's not too thick. But when the slice is the corner or the slice is the side of this rectangular pie, I feel like you miss out. 
I don't need, I might as well have a loaf of bread if I want all that crust. I want the least amount of crust in a Sicilian slice. Therefore, it's nine slices, but I want the center slice. So what's the likelihood you're going to walk into the pizzeria and you're going to be able to have that available? It's too much of a risk. And I don't have 40 minutes to wait for them to make a new pie. So how do I remotely control that when I eat pizza, I get that center slice? Here's the answer. I order an entire pie. Dr. Clapper. That way, I can be very good about giving away slices to people in my family. But I get to have that holy grail of pizza. And where in L.A. is my favorite Sicilian pepperoni slice? It's in Westwood on Gailey, and I've been eating there for 40 years. La Monica's. The dough is from New York. I don't know. I need to go into their garbage dump one day to see where the San Marzano tomatoes come from that they buy because the sauce is the tangiest. It almost tastes like they squeeze lemon, but they don't. It's really what a tomato is supposed to taste like. But I got to tell you, you may have to reach deep in your wallet because it's not cheap to buy an entire Sicilian pepperoni pie. But you will thank me a thousand times if you do. So maybe this weekend you'll treat yourself. La Monica's in Westwood. Pepperoni Sicilian. Give all those slices away, but save the center one for yourself. You won't regret it. All right, next week I'm so excited. My guest, my mouth is watering already. My guest next week is a good friend of mine. He's one of the best ear, nose, and throat specialists in the city. He and I trained together as interns way back in 1983. And his name is Dr. Andrew Berman. I'm going to talk to him about what it's like to break your nose and why he's able to set it better than anybody else. It's an amazing combination of bone and cartilage. That's what your nose is. And when it breaks, it's usually at the junction between the cartilage and the bone itself. It's a fascinating subject because we see it in sports all the time. When someone's elbow or fist ends up in the middle of your face, a broken nose occurs. What are the secrets to setting it? What does a septum mean altogether? What's the difference in the type of cartilage on your nose versus elsewhere? The great Dr. Andrew Berman is going to join me. Until next week, I want you to do something nice for a total stranger and think about the Weekend Warrior Show. It's something that I really feel is important, particularly in today's times. Until then, I leave you with Volari, which means I'm singing and I'm flying. Until next week, I'll see you on the radio. Miss an interview or Doc's weekly story? 
Check it out on the Weekend Warrior Facebook page. Also, Doc's advice to callers on their aches and pains. Just type Weekend Warrior in the Facebook search bar, and you'll see Doc's picture in the listings. And thanks for checking out the Weekend Warrior Facebook page.